Welcome to the Film Illiterates Podcast, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised movie talk. As always, I'm Joe Campbell, and joining me today is Alex Patton. Hello there. And Nathan Stone. It's me, Mario. Big fucking Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You would think that making a movie about highly trained soldiers going into space lab that is infested with mutated zombie creatures would be an easy task, right? Right, Nathan? I, I would think so, right? You would think so. And you would also think that making any sort of video game movie would be an easy thing. Well, it's not. No. As we learned the hard way this week. So uh, we're here today to talk about video game adaptations, or should I say movies based on video games, because we know how many good movies of those are, are out there, right? A very small, small percentile, but they're growing. They're growing. They're being represented very well. So as we try to dig in and kind of find out what makes a good video game adaptation, why it's so difficult seemingly to nail it down correctly, uh, we're going to be taking a look specifically at three movies. We're going to be looking at Doom from, I think, 2005? Uh, yeah, 2004, actually, I believe. All right. And then the Super Mario Brothers movie, the infamous first video game adaptation from the early 90s. And then Detective Pikachu, which just came out a couple of years ago, like a year or two ago. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, but before we dig into that, let's talk about what we've watched recently on our own. Uh, Nathan, why don't you kick us off today? Absolutely. Okay. So, you know what? I was kind of feeling, because I've been, you know, with the current situation, how everyone's been like saying, you know what? Recognize your, you know, black creatives, black filmmakers who've been pioneers. I decided to revisit a good Spike Lee movie. You know, I I should admit, I actually kind of like Spike Lee. So, one movie I decided to revisit again was uh, Inside Man. uh, The 2006 crime thriller drama about... Denzel Washington, who plays a cop detective who has to try to appease the demands of a bank robber when he takes an entire bank under hostage and doesn't reveal anything until the very last minute what his plan is. So I remember back in college, everybody was watching this movie and they always said how smart it is. And it's, I will have to admit, the whole twist at the very end is when you kind of watch it for the first time, you don't see it coming, but it's, it's kind of an entertaining movie. You know, it's the nice level of Spike Lee where he's not so radical, but it's subtle enough in there that it's it makes it intriguing. And honestly, I have to say, there's some stuff this time around when I watched it that kind of caught me off guard. Um, I don't know. Have you guys seen this movie at all? No. No, you haven't? Joe, what about you? I, I have. It's been a few years, but I remember really enjoying it when I saw it. I mean, there's some good, solid performances. Like, it has the light banter with Denzel Washington playing this cop who's just seen everyone so paranoid about this, but he's like, eh, I don't care. I'm I'm enjoying this. And then you have Clive Owen, who just recently was, like, coming onto the scene as, like, a big A-list actor, and him just playing, like, this intimidating character where you have no idea what he's doing. And when he does do it, it kind of freaks you out. And I don't know, it's just a really entertaining movie. And it has like, you know, the typical Spike Lee genre traits. But I don't know, there's just one scene in particular this time around that kind of struck out to me. And it's at the very end. Um, But it felt so resonant with like today, with like our current situation, that I just thought at the time, at the time when I first saw it, I was like, I didn't really pay attention to it. But now I see how clever it was. And I was like, ooh, that was smart. That was smart what he did there. 
So I don't know if anyone's not seen this movie, I, I kind of recommend it, but it kind of shows Spike Lee at his A game. And he does have a lot of good movies where he's at his A game. Um, aside from that, I haven't been watching a whole lot of movies, but I've been watching a lot of Key and Peele um, comedy sketches. So, yes. any- oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm sure you've, you've seen quite a few of them, right, Joe? I, I've seen them via YouTube uh, uh, clips and, and episodes like, like on there. I mean, like the biggest one I think is a, a good one is like their Flickr uh, skit where, you know, Peel is trying to psych Keel on like in the office. Like, I think you have a, a, a stain on your shirt. And he's like, no, I'm not going to fall for that. And every time he does it, he just like flicks his nose, but it's just the build up to it. And then it just keeps building and building. Like, you know, he comes into the office the next day and he's like, hey, I have a neck brace, so I can't look down. Oh, okay. And then he goes to like the, the can and he looks at his text and he says, you have something on your tie. And he looks at Peel is right there flicking his nose. So these guys were like, they were always like the two on Mad TV. I used to like watch the most because they were just always a ball to listen to and watch. But in their show, Key and Peel, when they kind of like left and they went on to Comedy Central, and this was before Peel became like the big art house director with Get Out, they always just seemed to make fun of like stereotypes or generalizations black about characters or just like the black community. And I don't know, it's just they had a way of making it funny, but also pointing out the little nuances. And there's a lot of good stuff that I kind of forgot that, you know, they had some really good commentary at the time as well that maybe we, at the time, I, I didn't pay attention to, but it, it was just funny. Like, Joe, do you have any favorite sketches of theirs? The one that always comes to mind is their Gremlins 2 pitch meeting. Oh, sketch. my gosh. <laughs> that is a freaking good one, too. Um, or uh, or the, here's another one. It's called the non-scare movie where these two guys are coming out of a, a movie theater after seeing a scare movie, and they're trying to say, oh, man, I wasn't scared. Were you scared? No, I wasn't scared. Where are you parked? Oh, I'm parked there. Oh, I'm parked over there. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, why don't we just go walk over to your car? You just drive me back. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. And they're just trying to like tell each other, like, oh, we're not scared at the very end that you see that they wet their pants. And it's it's fun. It's good stuff. Oh, yeah. Keem Peel are one of the prime sketch comedians out there. <laughs> well, now that I threw that awkward wrench into the mix, Joe, why don't you tell us what you watched? Alrighty. So I recently got HBO Max when that released, and with it came Samurai Jack, which I had never seen before, and wait, any of wait, it. You didn't grow up with Samurai Jack? You were I did what? not grow up with Samurai Jack. I didn't have Cartoon Network, uh, and this is one that I've been wanting to get around to. So I finally checked it out. I watched all five seasons of Samurai Jack. I have to ask your opinion. What are your thoughts of the fifth season? Well, first of all, I love the whole show in, in, in general, even from the first couple episodes of the first season. I, this is a beautiful show to look at. I love. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, this, the guy who created this, uh, Jerry uh, Tarkovsky. Gany uh, Tarkovsky. Gany Tarkovsky. Thank you for correcting his name. Uh, he uh, he was just like a, a huge like pioneer of Cartoon Network back in the 90s and early 2000s thousands like this is the guy who gave us powerpuff girls gave us dexter's laboratory he gave us a show so this guy this was like i i don't know i think he's admitted several times it's like this is his like love letter to just asian cinema and samurai movies in general as well as like futuristic movies but it, you can see the passion and all the artwork like it's freaking good artwork From the very first episodes, I loved just how beautiful it was. I love seeing how you can really tell his inspirations and how he loves these older samurai movies. 
even from the the visual references, he, he pulls direct references to stuff like Lone Wolf and Cub show up at one point, <clears throat> which I wasn't expecting. <laughs> it was hilarious. But what I love is that he takes the samurai movie, kind of the, the look, the style, the kind of ethos, I guess, of those those, those movies, the, the honorable Ronin, traveling Ronin kind of stories. But then he applies it to all sorts of different genres. So there's, you know, the Western episode, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of science fiction. You know, you got, obviously you got post-apocalyptic, then you've got cyberpunk sometimes. And there's all sorts of different blends of genres in there. For the first four seasons, it really is just kind of an, an episodic thing where there, there, there's no grand plan. When, when Tartakovsky finished the show, the, the first time uh, with season four, he didn't really have an idea of how he was going to finish it then. So he just kind of left it hanging. And the, the first four seasons are really episodic in that it's just kind of, you know, what's the adventure of the day? Here's one where Jack meets a, a tribe of ape people and he learns how to jump really high. Oh, here's another episode where he fights a coup. Oh, where he meets and, a Scotsman. That's a fun one. Yeah, exactly. And and the, every once in a while, there'll be little reoccurring characters here and there. But really, there is no central drive. And I, I miss this kind of storytelling because... I, I think people today get too caught up in what's the big overarching story? What's what's the drive of the story? How, you know, this episode is filler because nothing happens. And I'm just kind of sitting here like, I, I enjoy the ride. I enjoy that one episode is a Western. The next episode is a take on a, a Robin Hood tale and all this kind of stuff. I don't need to be caught up in a big overarching story. Uh, but then season five comes along and they, and, and they, when Tartakovsky came back to do to finish off the show, he did just say, "All right, with well, season five, we'll just do one big story. We'll we'll finish off the story here." So you get four great se- seasons of standalone episodes, and then one season that just kind of wraps things up. And with season five, he was able to make it a lot more darker. It got a TV fourteen rating and a lot more blood. And uh, it's well, actually, it's- was it TV fourteen or TV MA? Because I it's, can't it's, remember. It's TV, it's TV 14. Yeah. Okay. Because I because I, I, I do remember they like uh, one reason why they're able to get away with a lot more on season five is that they actually moved it to Adult Swim as opposed to Cartoon Network's prime time. Right. They did. And so in in season in season five, I mean, and you do get a lot of those. You know, Lone Wolf and Cub had the the big blood splatters and dismemberments, and season five has a lot more of that. So it's kind of interesting watching the whole series in a row. You get, go from kind of the, the kid-friendly stuff where he's hacking up robots to all of a sudden you have an episode where, oh, he hacks a real person. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll have to admit, season five gets freaking dark at times, like twisted, like psyche messed up dark. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, much, it's a much more kind of darker, contemplative uh, show. Stylistically, it still fits in just fine, although obviously it's newer animation. You, got, you have the widescreen format, which looked better on my TV. I, I, I love how... Tartakovsky breaks up the frame into these cool little effects, you know, where the it'll go into super widescreen or block up the, uh, the the screen into little chunks. The problem is that when you're watching something shot for full screen on widescreen today, it gets a little bit confusing then uh, because the aspect ratio is a little bit off from what it was originally intended to look. It, it's it's almost like he kind of like is like framing it to make it feel like it's like a, a graphic novel where it's like it's it's supposed to heighten like the composition or just the action a lot more. Honestly, Finishing Samurai Jack, this is up there with some of my favorite TV shows. You know, I, I always cite uh, Breaking Bad, Garth Marenghi's Dark Plays, Police Squad. Uh, Samurai Jack is right up there with, with those, in, in my opinion. Uh, and then, uh, so my local 
drive-in movie theater opened up recently. Oh, nice. So I've been able to get to the theaters. Joe's got his theater dose for the week. Excellent. <laughs> so uh, I, I've been going the past couple weekends. My drive-in movie theater does double features, as quite a few drive-in movie theaters do. So the first weekend, I did a double feature of the, the Lee Whannell Invisible Man. I saw that again. And the B-side of that was a new movie called The Wretched. So The Wretched is a, uh, is, a, is a new movie directed by Brett Pierce and Drew Pierce. A defiant teenage boy struggling with his parents' imminent divorce faces off with a thousand-year-old witch who is living beneath the skin of and posing as the woman next door. This movie really is uh, just kind of like a modern-day take on, you know, Rear Window, Fright Night, those kind of movies where you got the kid thinks, oh no, there's a monster or a killer living next door. How are we going to expose them, stop them, anything like that? So it really did feel like a almost like a throwback kind of movie in that regard. I I quite enjoyed this movie, but for 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 an independent horror movie, it's not bad. I wouldn't say it's fantastic or anything, but you know, you know, you know the kid, the kids do fine. It kind of brings back that kind of '80s feel. It's like a, a modern day take on those kind of '80s movies. Uh, some of the creature effects are great. It's got a lot of practical effects in there. Oh, nice. I wouldn't say, you know, rush out to watch this right away, but come this Halloween, if you're looking for a new little creature feature to watch, this would be worth throwing, throwing on, I'd say. And then finally, on another double feature I saw at the drive-in recently was they showed Anchorman with Spaceballs. Uh, I'm just going to focus on Anchorman this time because Anchorman is a movie that a lot of people really love, and I didn't, I, I saw it once in college. It didn't really do a whole lot for me. Uh, I gotta say, I really loved it this time. I don't know what it is, but the humor just got to me a lot more. And this and this is me sitting in a car by myself watching the movie. I was laughing out loud. I mean, you have to admit, it's the one movie that we San Diegans, Joe, have kind of like taken in. Is like, he's our herald now. He is. <laughs> we all have a little Ron Burgundy in us San Diegans. I just love how the, this is one of those movies where it just everybody's a scumbag like all these people are just terrible people but it's the funniest damn stuff i mean i think what just makes it work is i don't know if you've seen behind the scene features of this but they shot it where a lot of the actors just ad-libbed a lot of the jokes like you have paul rudd you have steve carell and will ferrell just like in the room and they're just like they, they have no like restraint of the jokes they're throwing out there it's just whatever comes to their head and so it's it's a good also example of just like this comedy style working at its best. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I believe it. You can you can tell it's one of those movies where you know you know all all these all these actors are are just this is when they were on top of their game with the the uh, the improvisational humor. After after I saw the movie this past weekend, the next day I went to Best Buy and got the Blu-ray, uh, which comes with Wake Up Ron Burgundy, which is the an entire other movie made up of bits cut from the main movie and it's like an hour and a half long of just like deleted scenes strung together as a movie so, oh, I'm, so wow. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that and just yeah. seeing you know what what jokes Jeez. were cut i mean it's like you have to think about like they must have like enough footage or just enough scenes just to make up like two or three movies yeah I mean, especially they, if they're ad-libbing everything you know you got to think about how much stuff they end up cutting out yeah you, you've got a lot of material there exactly so anyway that's a high recommendation for uh anchorman the legend of ron burgundy uh alex what you got all right so uh a little bit ago uh movie night with some discord friends uh we decided to watch roadhouse great movie mm -hmm. <laughs> uh <laughs> <laughs> well uh it was cool apache is cool i mean you know 
back in this back then in his prime, you know. I just thought it was fine. Like nothing about it really like stuck out to me as like that was really rad or like that was a great scene or anything like that. It was just it was fine. And nothing was really bad about it either. Like you know, on the same side of not finding anything great, nothing was really terribly offensive or just boring. It was just it was a decent movie. It kept me engaged throughout the entire thing. Um, but it wasn't like I was, you know, on the edge of my seat or anything like that. Had some cool fight scenes, you know, some good stuff there. I can't remember his name, but he plays the stranger guy in uh, Big Lebowski. And I can't even remember his name in Roadhouse, but it's Patrick Swayze's friend. Everyone's, like I said, everyone was fine. It was just a, it was a fine movie. Nothing terribly bad nothing terribly great you didn't appreciate Patrick Swayze roundhouse kicking people throughout the movie that was I mean yeah you know that was I appreciated it but it wasn't like <laughs> enough to make up for to make it up for everything and you know like elevate it to a five-star movie <laughs> or ten star whatever for shame, sir, for shame. I don't know Joe he, he's he's we kind of I think we have a hater in the house we, we have a hater against good old Patrick Swayze a hater movie. in the roadhouse yep a hater in the roadhouse <laughs> a hater in this roadhouse how dare you disrespect Mr. Swayze in this, I know. In this roadhouse? <laughs> exactly. By the way, it was Sam Elliott. Thank you. That's it. Yep. Yeah, I love him. He's he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Actually, Alex, look, look, looking on Letterbox, uh, it looks like you you only gave it half a star lower than I did. So you're you're, you're okay. good. All right. <laughs> well, it's better than what I gave it, which was probably only two stars. So. Why are you so- coming after me then? <laughs> To make myself feel better? To make myself feel better? <laughs> yeah, oh so we watched, we watched Roadhouse. Um, another day we end, we we watched I Am Here Now. It's a Neil Breen movie. Oh my gosh, I need to see Neil Breen movies. Man, I don't know if you really should, but <laughs> go ahead. I, well, why don't you give us your synopsis of it? Well, I don't know what, I don't know how you can give a synopsis of it. Neil Breen is like tech Jesus that comes to Earth and he's pissed off because there's a bunch of people like this businesses ripping people off and like criminals and stuff and all this bad stuff's happening. So he's like, fuck this. Everyone dies. I think I can't even remember. Everyone dies. And then he just like goes off and leaves. And he's like, you're terrible. Goodbye. That's it. It's I don't know, man. <laughs> this movie is unexplainable. It defies reason. Oh, yeah. We watched clips of another one of his movies. I think it's Fatal Findings or something like that. That was oh. also like ridiculous. I mean, I'm kind of looking at some of just like the stills and the pictures from that movie. It's it's like he's I don't know, he's like a an occult like leader or something like that. I don't know a lot about Neil Brain, but I'm guessing he's one of those kinds of fellas who just got kind enough of, money from I, his church or whatever following group he has. I think he's I think he's does real estate was what I heard, and that's how he he funds all of his movies. Okay. Like he just does all of this stuff himself and then just like, you know, writes himself as the main hero lead into the movies. And, but yeah, man, I don't, I don't even know if the, it, this is, this is the kind of movie that you would watch with all your friends and you would watch it for the, for the sole purpose of ripping it to shreds. Cause there is nothing good about this movie. That sounds like a fine evening to me. I, I think I'm going to recommend this for my group of friends. You can, you can probably go with any of his other movies, which he's made like four or five, apparently. 
but yeah, it's, I don't know what to think about it, man. It's just, weird. <laughs> uh, I, I think I, I, I might actually have a huge liking for this movie. I'm, I'm watching some clips of it. It just, it, you're right. It does look bad, but it looks bad in the good way. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, th- I think that that's what kind of the draw of it is and why people end up actually watching it in the first place is just, is just to watch it to make fun of it because there's nothing good about it. So let's just point out and laugh at all the bad and terrible things, which is literally the entire movie. I mean, just the quality of it kind of just reminds me of the Biker King and the Ten Commandments. Do you guys remember that? Oh one? my gosh, I remember seeing that. <laughs> so if anyone is out there listening to this, we recommend go check out the trailer for "I Am Here Now." And then, if you're curious, go check out the Biker King and the Ten Commandments. And th- these are just two wonderful gems of just really bad dystopian, even just like. I don't know. Would you even say like this is a religious base of a movie? Because uh, it doesn't look like it is. I am here now. I I, I think it's a vanity project from what I understand. I'm just saying what I know based on seeing other reviewers, such as I know uh, Red Letter Media has done a few <laughs> reviews on Neil Breen movies. And uh, it's, it's one of those one of those film filmmakers kind of like Tommy Wiseau, where I just feel like I need to see their stuff to believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can agree with that. Yeah. Because. Uh, you know, with friends talking about it and mentioning how terrible it was, I, you know, I was like, it's probably not going to be that bad. It's probably going to be somewhat resembling an actual movie. But then you sit down and watch it and you're like, oh, it is actually that bad. <laughs> well, I know what I'm doing for my pick a flick. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, I'll make you sit through it all over again. Not do at least do a different one, please. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> at least a different one. That's I'm all gonna... I ask. All right. There's three others to choose from. Thank God. <laughs> wonderful anyway uh uh what else what else you got alex anything else um as far as movies that's about it but um the new expansion for destiny dropped and it's a the update itself is pretty cool um you know some fun new stuff we got a new dungeon which is probably one of the best things we've gotten in probably a year or so of destiny it's absolutely fantastic me and a couple friends were able to actually finish it and beat it in the first week um, severely under leveled, but it was incredibly fun nonetheless. Um, but one of the big things that came with this uh, expansion DLC was um, Bungie announced essentially their roadmap for what the Destiny franchise is going to continue to be. For a while, there's been a talk. There's been talk about whether or not there's going to be a Destiny three. Because right now we're in Destiny two. Destiny one lasted three years, but what they've decided to do is just keep Destiny two as just just keep Destiny 2, and they're going to just keep releasing new updates for it. They're just going to keep updating the, the current game that we have. And they've pushed, they've pushed out the roadmap to as far as the next two years, which they have in the past six years. They haven't announced anything more than six, seven months, something like that, ahead of time. Just seeing the fact that they're looking so far ahead into the future and as far as like two years, which is quite a bit of time in the game's uh, lifespan. Um, just seeing that they're looking that far ahead is is pretty interesting. We already know what this next fall DLC is going to bring. We have a name and kind of a tentative idea of what the 2021 expansion is going to be. And then 2022, we have a working title name. Um, I think it's Beyond Light, which somewhat suggests a few people have read it as a possible end for the franchise. So we'll see if that actually plans out, if that's the case and it makes sense that they 
you know, kind of announce stuff like this so early on, but it's just cool to see him kind of lay everything out ahead of time. Now, what I was going to ask is like, if you're thinking like with Destiny 3, they might be trying to end the franchise or they might try to come to a stop to the narrative. Are they still hoping to kind of like do spinoffs of that universe? Like maybe for this main storyline that they're doing, it'll end there, but there's still the possibility of like spinoff games are set in that same universe of like side missions that were going on. I have no clue. Um, I additionally, I would not expect them to release any sort of spinoff games. If they do end the franchise, they'll put a final nail in the coffin and then that'll be it for it and move on to something else. Um, I don't see them doing spinoffs or anything like that, mostly because while if you go into the lore and whatnot, there's certainly material that you could possibly do a spinoff on, but I wouldn't necessarily see that coming. We get enough kind of bits and pieces and explanations and experiences of the lore in the current game that I, uh, I think it would be kind of hard pressed to really make an entire game based around. Yeah. And more or less, I think the guys at the the company have other projects that they've had to put on the back burner for a while since like destiny has been like their huge cash cow. So this will make way for them to, you know, streamline a lot more of this. So, yeah. I mean, after, after halo, this is the only game that Bungie has been working on. Um, so far, that's all that, that they've uh, that they've done, or at least that they've announced so far. Of what they've announced, all right. Well, who knows? Maybe at the end of twenty twenty, they'll uh, they'll surprise everybody. Yeah, yeah. Alrighty, and with that, we will dive into our main topic, which is video game movies, specifically Doom, Super Mario Brothers, and Detective Pikachu. They're brothers. They're plumbers. <laughs> They're on the trail of a kidnapped princess and a mystical meteorite that gives anyone who possesses it the power to rule the universe. Get me the rock! Come and get it, lizard breath! Now, they must rescue the princess. And make it safely back. Later, alligator. To our world. Are you alright? Before time runs out. Brothers, this is no game. Super Mario Brothers, the movie, is a 1993 movie directed by Annabelle Jengel and Rocky Morton. I'm willing to get, I'm willing to bet there was some behind the scenes tension and problems, <laughs> and thus the two directors. I mean, seeing probably. how the movie kind of unfolded, I would not doubt that. Two Brooklyn plumbers. Mario and Luigi must travel to another dimension to rescue a princess from the evil dictator King Koopa and stop him from taking over the world. So honestly, let me ask, has it ever really been established that the Mario Brothers, Luigi and Mario were from Brooklyn? I don't know Mario Brothers lore, to be honest with you. I don't know. I, mean, I, I guess they I, just had to have a setting for it, so they just threw it in Brooklyn. I, I just like in the in the movie how it says, like, this is Brooklyn. 10,000 years ago, Brooklyn, oh, 20 yeah. years ago, Brooklyn now. I'm like, thank you. 
You don't need cool. to tell us. This movie is infamously it's it's the first uh video game adaptation. You got you got it's it's known as one of the worst movies of of all time. Yep. It's guys, this, this is such a weird movie. Uh now yeah. where where do they go wrong as, as far as adapting Super Mario Brothers as a video game into a movie? Literally everywhere. I mean, literally when you think about it, Mario Brothers in itself is a weird concept. I guess the guys who were handed this as like their project, they were like, hey, there's a lot of kids who like playing Mario Brothers. We could cash on that, make a movie off of it. So look, looking at this movie, I, I, I think one of, the, one of his big problems is that they tried to adapt it too literally in some ways in that the filmmakers obviously, obviously wanted to make one kind of movie. They wanted to make this kind of weird, dystopian, almost dark and gritty kind of movie live action but they were adapting super mario brothers and so they 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 thought well we got to adapt all the stuff from super mario brothers so you've got stuff like king koopa you've got the mushrooms you've got dinosaurs you've got the whole royalty aspect you've got their 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 plumbers but it's all kind of crammed into this narrative where it doesn't fit it's like they tried to take all this weird bizarre fantastical stuff from the video games and cram it into a narrative where it just it made no sense mm-hmm. honestly i think the biggest problem i saw at least with this is like i saw a lot of them trying to adapt the material to fit for just 90s pop culture i mean you you mentioned there's a dystopian feel to it and it reminded me a lot of demolition man um and also there's a lot of stuff in there that kind of it came out at the same time as jurassic park did so the little dinosaur is an actual almost like a raptor that you would have seen in jurassic park um, and then there's also the scene at the dance club where it's like, is this night at the Roxbury's now? Yeah. So I, it, it felt like it was, tr- it couldn't make up its mind what it was trying to appeal to, but it was just trying to throw everything in the basket to see, well, maybe someone will find this interesting. Well, yeah, the movie is ultimately too ambitious for its own good mm-hmm. because it really does try to appeal to everyone and thus appeals to no one. It has this convoluted roundabout way of, we'll explain the mushrooms with having this sentient fungus growing everywhere. And then we'll have de-evolution things. We can de-evolve someone back to mushrooms. We can de-evolve someone back to dinosaurs, which fits in the the, the, the original Mario Brothers. So it's, it, it, just, it, it all feels like a very, very convoluted way of trying to make everything fit together. But it's kind of fascinating because of that, because of how weirdly ambitious this movie is. I think really the only way you can adapt Super Mario Brothers is as an animated movie that's kind of, that's just kind of straight up, you know, what you see in the game, turn that into an animated version and a feature life movie. Yeah. But this is just a strange thing where it's kind of like the, the filmmakers wanted to do one thing. And so they said, well, what can we take from the original game and just bastardize into a completely unrecognizable uh, form? Yeah, and one thing I want to ask is like, wasn't Mario Brothers like, or even just Super Mario Brothers, still a relatively new game at the time that this was being released? Like, it was, it didn't have many years of of kids playing it, right? At the time, uh, relatively, some, some, sometime in the eighties. I don't know the exact date. Yeah, so maybe this this might be something I'll kind of like add to later when we get into Detective Pikachu or just in the other movies. But it it didn't have that much of. A growing at the time like yes it was popular because it was nintendo and everybody was like into that but it's like i can see as a filmmaker trying to adapt something that was still like not embedded in pop culture in the way we thought and just messing it up that way because you're thinking to yourself 
how do I make this appeal to the pop culture I know of this current age? I don't know anything about the video games. It almost seems like this was a project handed to the wrong people to adapt. So Alex, this is your first time watch, actually watching it, right? Correct, yeah. What were your thoughts? What, what was going through your head watching this movie? I don't, I, I don't even know, dude. It was so hard to like, not, not necessarily keep track of everything that was going on, but just follow along and like try to make sense of why this is happening. <laughs> and I think that's, that's really just where it lost me. It's just everything was happening just because it happened and just that it's going to happen. That's it. There was no, didn't seem there was a whole lot of like real reason as to why, the, why they're doing this or why they're doing that or, or anything there's no well there's no real reason to the movie in general you know if i'm being honest with you but it just kind of yeah just went all over the place and there was no real no real um cohesion direction yeah that's fair i mean they had the overarching idea of save daisy and stop king koopa from taking over the world but just the roundabout way that they went about and went, went about doing that really just lost me am i the only one who's still creeped out that they decided to go with dennis hopper as king koopa i'm really sorry but i was getting such creepy vibes when he's trying to hit on daisy like that okay casting dennis hopper is never a bad idea no matter how bad your movie is because if you have a terrible movie bob hoskins will at least make it hilariously watchable Bob Hoskins was great. He I'm, was. I'm not going to lie. I mean, he did. I, at one point, he's like, I'm not even going to try the Italian accent. I'm just going to have my accent. <laughs> he still sells yeah. it. If you guys haven't seen it, look up his scenes from the movie The Crow, Wicked, Wicked Prayer. He is phenomenal in that movie. What single cell organism did you evolve from? Tyrannosaurus Rex, the Lizard King. Thank you very much. Whereas my evolution was wonderful and sweet, your de-evolution will be a living nightmare if you don't tell me where that meteorite piece is. This toad? Yes. Oil. Lethal. Stupid. <laughs> Looking at this at this specific movie, I'm not sure what they could have done. To save it, I mean, on the one hand, I want to say that they should have just adapted, not even made it an, adap an adaptation. They should have just done their own thing because clearly, clearly they had a very specific vision they should have just got, went all in on. But at that point, it would have no longer been a Super Mario Brothers movie. Mm -hmm. So I, and on the other hand, this is so specifically weird that even though it's a terrible movie, I'm kind of glad it exists as this, anomaly of, of of motion picture history but it is really a terrible adaptation i mean if we kind of think about the history of video game movies like this was the first one if you think about it like this is the one that kind of started it all and as we've kind of gone on to you know the resident evil movies to even doom which we'll talk about as well as like other movies that came out with starring dwayne johnson they found a way to somehow make it work, make it believable, just sell the universe. Like this was just the first time they tried to adapt it. And you're right. There is no a coherent vision or direction. And I think that's the lesson that we can learn from this movie is like, if you are going to be handed this kind of a project, know what your vision is or know exactly what you're adapting. Cause this kind of is a good example of how it can go wrong. Yeah. And I think you're, when looking at the game itself, you're taking something that's very, very simplistic. It's just a 2d platformer. 
and you're trying to create an entire world around that, which is, I mean, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's just really the wrong uh, game to adapt because yeah, you can, if you wanted to stay really faithful to the game, it's going to be very boring. But then if you take it out, you know, the characters and whatnot outside of the game, which is really kind of what they did, it just, you can easily lose track of really where you're going. And I just wanted to take the largest video game IP at the time and just, you know, capitalize off its popularity. But Mario Brothers doesn't really translate to a live action movie really at all. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. Let's move on to the second movie we're going to talk about. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jumping up a little over 10 years to Doom from 2005. At a distant research facility, the final 10% of the human genome has just been discovered. And with it, all hell has broken loose. Now, a call for help has gone out. Game time. Listen up, man. We're going in hot. If it breathes, kill it. There's something coming up behind you. It's in the sewer! <laughs> what is that? We gotta go now. Ah! Evacuate! Evacuate! Space Marines are sent to investigate strange events at a research facility on Mars, but find themselves at the mercy of genetically enhanced killing machines. Now, unlike Super Mario Brothers, I've never actually played Doom. I'm aware of it in its place in video game history, the first-person shooter aspect. I realize that the game, I think, has to do with demons and hellscapes and all sorts of creative fantasy stuff. But but my my actual experience with Doom is just this movie, right? And Alex, I actually I do know like you kind of brought up several times in our podcast that you have played this game or have revisited the game more recently. So it's it's a little bit more something you're familiar with, and it's still fresh in your mind. So is is what Joe is kind of like talking about it being like one of the very first uh, first player shooter games, kind of like why it has like an iconic place in video game history. I believe so, yeah. And it was just one of the first really great ones. Um, I haven't played a whole lot of the first Doom or the first really few Doom games. Um, just played a bit of uh, the first uh, Doom 1, you know, a little bit here and there. The only game that I've completed of the series uh, fully is the Doom 2016. Um, but even then, I'm still a bit, you know, familiar with some of the older games, at least for the first couple. Um, they kind of went off a little bit and did different things, and I think three and so on. But um, one of the things that really helped with adapting this movie is that Doom has a little bit more complexity to it. The, the gameplay itself is is you know simple as well with it being an older game, but there's more story to it. There's more, there's more meat to the bones. Well, even so, like the arena and even just the mapping of the game is a little bit more structured as well. Like you have Marines who are in a, a space laboratory going through corridors and just, you know, tankers as well as just, you know, elevator shafts. 
and that's like your arena. And so it's easy to kind of like understand the premises and what you're dealing with as far as stakes and obstacles. You're trying to shoot at something coming from the dark and that's your space. It's grounded a bit more. Yeah, you could literally just shoot, I mean, shoot the movie kind of the way the game is played. You know, and, and wh- while we do get like that first person aspect um, later on near the end of the movie, which we can revisit a little bit in the discussion, um, but just the idea of going through different corridors on this facility, clearing rooms, picking up keys to get into the next area, that's all very like it's simple, but it's simple enough that you could kind of you it gives you some real room to work with it and, and add some more story and add some more, um, you know, maybe a little more stakes to, you know, each room that you pass through. I will say when that one uh, first person like point of view came into the third act of the movie, that's actually when it got really good for me. I was like, wow, this is this is what I was kind of hoping for. And it actually delivered on that. That's definitely the most memorable part of the movie, I would say, just because um, I don't know if it was the first kind of movie to really do a whole, like a full first person sequence like that. Um, I'd say it's probably definitely the first to do like a shooter like that. But I like that they added that bit in there, you know, reminiscent of, of course, the games itself and pay homage to that. Now, my big question is like, I wonder if that's like the big scene that they were saving for. It's like, oh, well, if we're going to have one first person like shooter scene in this, it has to be somewhere towards the end. We have to save for that. Whereas I keep thinking, what if they just like peppered that throughout the entire movie, like for all the different action scenes or scenes that the Marines were going through, like they could have like switched it back and forth like that. And I think it would have actually still worked as opposed to just waiting to the very end. Yeah. I, th- I agree that it would have, I think would have worked maybe a little bit better, but I don't think it would have had as big of an impact and been as memorable as a full, as a much longer, like full sequence that, that they, that they ended up going with. Yeah. I mean, honestly it does pay off, especially in the story because it makes a lot more sense why they would like switch to that kind of perspective. And if anything, it's a good bit of fan service. Like, you know, the fans appreciated it. Exactly. That's, that's that. I think that's exactly what it is. It's fan service. When I first saw doom many, uh, probably, probably about uh, five, six years ago, I went into it with the expectation of this is one of the worst movies of all time. I heard a lot of people <laughs> crapping on this movie, you know, the last airbender levels of, of terrible, now, fast forward today, this is my third time watching this movie. I kind of love it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, to each his own. I mean, I mean, okay, okay, okay. So I want to be clear. I, 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 so I gave this movie three stars on, on a letterbox. So clearly it's not a, a classic or, or, you know, an amazing movie. I got to say, though, I have fun with this movie. I, I think it's, it's, it's silly. I like silly. I like seeing, seeing the, seeing Dwayne Johnson do this kind of over the top psychotic bad guy thing. I like the the infected demon people running around. I love that they have a serum that can scientifically tell if you're good or evil. Just all this big stupid fun stuff is what I signed up for. And and, and it's and it's got it's got the f bombs. It's got you know creatures getting their heads blown off. It's got all the gore and everything in there. So it's mm-hmm. for for me this movie is just a silly good time with just angry space marines running around shooting up mutated 
creatures things with with, with, with really dumb sci-fi stuff thrown in there oh yeah and stupid one-liners like uh, that one character who's like the sleazeball just like coming to the girls and like excuse me ladies we're under quarantine i'm gonna have to strip search you which makes no sense yeah. in any context no absolutely yeah. none so it's like <laughs> why... hold on one second i want to i want to zero in on that scene really quick because 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 I was, I was thinking about this watching this what was going through that guy's head there there's only one thing going through that guy's head at that point well, here's the thing. He, he, he has two outcomes of there. Either he says, hey, we need to do a strip search. And the ladies say, okay, sure. What's he going to do? Just like tell, tell Sarge, all right, just give me a few minutes. I need to step aside in the middle of a mission. So, I mean, he, he can't have been seriously thinking there was, that anything was going to come of that, meaning that the only outcome of that statement is to show off how much of a creep he is which can't be what he wants to convey to people so what is going through this character's head i i'm pretty sure it was just some kind of like a one-liner he thought i'm gonna see if this works and we'll see who's kinky enough for it and i'll get their number but he doesn't have time for it There's no no, <laughs> no and as we kind of find out later it's not gonna pay off anyway but you're right but also i mean I was talking about how much I love that it's a serum that can tell every person is scientifically either a good person or a bad person. It's in your DNA. I love that they have that in this, <laughs> yeah. this, this, in this world. Yeah. And I love it. But then I was thinking about that. You go back to the people who have been infected. So far, everyone who's been infected has turned out to be a demon creature, including like the super religious guy who's really worried about cussing all the time. Uh -huh. and, and he kills himself because he realizes he's turning into a demon. Right. And I'm like, so in this world where you are, you know, it's it's hardwired into your DNA if you're good or evil. I guess everybody's evil except for Carl Urban. It's 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 great. I love this stuff. Well, not necessarily. So part of it was that depending on whether or not you would turn into a demon is dependent or will tell the demon if they're going to infect you. Because there was there was a part there's a part where there was two. Um, dead guys found at the door at a at a door leading outside right and we later goes back we f it finds out that one of them um i guess turned into a demon but there's all but there is still one of one one other of one more of them left there so i guess it's just demon will kill you if you're not going to turn into a demon and if you are it just infects you because it just knows it sizes you up looks you up and down it's just like yeah you make a good demon sure we'll go with you I love how psychotic uh, Dwayne Johnson is in this movie. They're just yeah. like, we got we got survivors. Kill all the survivors. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's actually kind of funny, actually? Originally, he was approached to play the other role, to play the, the good guy, the brother, since, you know, he had such a huge fall and everyone loved The Rock. But he actually said, no, I want to play Sarge because I can relate to this guy. I think it'd be kind of interesting <laughs> to play him. I'm like, Dwayne, you want to say something? You want to <laughs> And it's so weird seeing Dwayne Johnson play the bad guy in a movie, especially one so psychotic as this character. Honestly, I loved it. I, I kind of like. Oh, same it. here. I like, you know, obviously, you know, he's he's always known for playing like the big buff action hero guy who's going to go in and save his family. But Charismatic like, wink and a nod. Mm -hmm. I actually like that he plays the messed up Marine Sergeant who uh, is not afraid of killing everybody on board for the mission. I'm like, okay. Although I don't understand the, where that transition kind of happened. Where, where did he make that flip? Because I, I couldn't remember that part. I, th I think he's just crazy from the beginning. We just we just didn't see it yet. Okay. He was just suppressing <laughs> it up until the point where he's like, that's it. I'm just going to be all beast mode now. Yep. 
Also, how crazy is it that Rosman Pike is in this movie and she's giving a legitimately pretty good, pretty, pretty great performance? Yeah, she was fine. I, yeah. I don't know what you call by a good performance. I thought she was terrible in this movie. I thought she, I thought she was great. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like an it's like an amazing performance, but I thought she would probably gave one of the best performances in the movie. I don't know. I, I think I've seen better from her. But obviously, if this was like her in her you know earlier career and she's just starting out, okay. Um, well, I mean, like obviously we've we 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 we've we've seen better from her, and she and and she and she she's done better roles. I'm saying in this movie. She gives a role that's better than this movie deserves, at least in my opinion. Okay. I mean, I guess yeah. I, I like the stuff where the one uh, Marine is like trying to flirt with her as she's, you know, sticking her arm down the thing's throat and like pulling its organs out. <laughs> I thought that yeah. stuff was good because it's like, it's, it's, it's very misplaced um, attraction that the guy's trying to do. It's like, Hey baby, you're hot. Okay. You might open up this guy's jaw while I get my flashlight. It's like, <laughs> that kind of stuff I thought was fun. That that was fun, and and I could sense the she was like doing some good like you know rapport with him. It was good at that part. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think I think a strong point that the movie does have is kind of the banter between the 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 characters, specifically the Marines themselves. I mean, it's kind of fun just seeing how seeing all the different like unique characters interact with each other. But then the movie loses that by just killing them off. So. <laughs> can't have way banter if there's nobody to banter with exactly i mean it, it extends up until like the very last bit like between the rock and carl urban are you saying are you gonna shoot me hey yeah i was thinking about it it's finished would you say we go outside and get some fresh air Shoot me. Yeah, I was thinking about it. What you got left? Half a clue. You? I've got one round. So, so this this movie. I mean, I mean, obviously, I I, I quite enjoy this movie, but. Uh, and and as, as you guys have, have shown too, uh, this is not a very well-received movie. A lot of people really don't like this movie. So what, what does or doesn't work about it as far as a, a video game adaptation? So I'll kind of give my uh, two cents on that. So what I think works about this is that they do take the concept of what uh, Doom is, set it in its arena, and keep it to those constraints. You know, once the Marines go through the arc, they stay there at the lab. They don't go anywhere else. And even like there's a lot of stuff with Carl Ben's like, you know, backstory that they don't really show in flashback. They just keep it all in the present, which I actually think is something that was a challenge, but they made it work. Um, I think also just a lot of the camera work, a lot of just them trying to build up these Marines and then us losing them as well as them just trying to complete their mission. Yeah, good stuff. I think what just loses me on it is there's not enough of the the demon creatures running around. A lot of it is just kind of like shooting in the dark. And do you see it? No, you don't know. And honestly, in my opinion, I think the whole moral of how do you, can you determine who's a good person, who should live and who should die, and what's for the mission, I felt that was a little shoehorned towards the very end. It, it just felt a little forced at the very end, especially when they're asking the kid to go back and, and clear the situation. I was like, well, that seems a little forced. But maybe that was just me. I think it's... It's trying to uplift, uh, live up to the game, 
in the best way possible, but it also gets itself sidetracked with a little bit too much of the marine banter and a little too much of just sitting around, walking around, and not seeing enough of the creatures. Yeah, as as a adaptation of the game itself, I think it it's fine. It's just unfortunate that it's just in general a bad movie. Like if we're looking at it purely on the adaptation aspect of it, it does fine. You know, it's like you said, it they go into the facility. It's all about clearing corridors and finding the right things that they need to find and that's 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 what the game is so as as far as the adaptation goes it's fine it's just the movie itself is not that great it's kind of the yeah the baseline is good but the overarching and different points here and there like you said it would be cool to see a bit more of the demons just because you get you get into the game they're everywhere you know you turn a corner there's five so it would have been cool to see them have a little bit more action um, in the movie, just them going around blasting people. And 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 as 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 we see uh, later down down the road, you can have that same sort of stripped back, simple you know running gun through corridor corridors type of narrative, and you can do it really well, especially uh, in in another Carl Urban movie, Dread, which came out uh, several years back which is a very similar type of movie where just, you know, we're going to this one location, we're going to clear out these hallways, go to a destination. And that movie does the same sort of story extremely well and extremely uh, focused and, and, and narrowed down. Uh, for my money, this movie takes adaptation and does the adaptation really well. For my money, this movie is also just a fun time. I mean, I, I legitimately kind of enjoy this very cheesy, very dumb movie. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I think as far as adaptation goes, it might, I mean, it, 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 it does, from what I understand, it takes away some of the crazier, more memorable aspects of the Doom game. You know, you know I, mean, I mean, going all in on the, the demon stuff, making it more, more creative as far as the creature design goes. But for my money, for what this is, it's, it's serviceable. I mean, I... I don't know which version of the movie the movie you guys watch. I don't know what the differences are. I, I watched the quote unquote unrated version, which I, I think is a little bit longer. Too. Yeah, okay. I did too. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And and I uh, the only thing that I know of for sure that they added uh, to the unrated version was they made the first person shooter segment a little bit longer, which I actually thought could have been cut down a little bit, even though it's one of the best parts of the movie, just because because it goes on for so long, you start to notice that these zombies, demon people, aren't really doing anything. They just kind of pop up and go, rah! Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's, there. that's what was one of my notes. Is like, it's, con- it's, it's very convenient that they wait for Carl Urban to reload <laughs> yeah. while standing in front of them. Well, I mean, honestly, that is also how the game goes a little bit as well, so... Yeah. No, no, it is not. Okay, never mind. <laughs> no. I haven't played, so don't don't come for that. But but but, but yeah, I, I, if 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 you ask me, Doom Doom gets adaptation right in that it tries to take the most memorable aspects of the game and try to make a whole movie just based on the quote unquote game gameplay element. You know, just just mm-hmm. we're gonna have people running through this thing. They're gonna try to figure stuff out and uh, shoot some demons along the way. I Maybe it could have gone a little bit more in that direction. Uh, for my money, it's, it's, it's serviceable. As, as Dwayne Johnson would say, Semper free, motherfucker. <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. Listen up. We got ways to make you talk. Or mine. Yeah. So tell us what we want to know. Pipe. Yes. Okay. I can. Shoving. 
pushing. My problem is that I push people away and then hate them for leaving. He's saying you can shove it. What? I can shove it? Okay, that's it. No, we're switching roles. I'm bad cop. You're good cop. No, 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 we're not cops. In my head, I saw that differently. Uh, finally, let's talk about Detective Pikachu, which came out last year. I was actually kind of, I was actually surprised to see it came out last year. I thought it came out like at least two or three years ago. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised when Alex you decided to want us to review this movie because I, I I guess I completely forgot that this is a video game as well. Like, uh, I I I guess when we were like looking at Pokemon, I was just all Pokemon. I was like, it's a franchise, but there is a video game, so I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I I kind of think one of the reasons why I wanted to play it or wanted to watch it because uh, I've I haven't seen it before, so it's kind of an excuse. But oh, nice. I know it was well received, so I wanted mm -hmm. to use it as an example of how a video game can be adapted well. So then can we get your opinion? Because I think Joe and I both saw it last year, but since this was your first time seeing it, what's, what is your consensus? Uh, I enjoyed it. It's not incredibly great, but it was at least fun. There you go. Okay. There you go. There we go. And uh, join us next week for as <laughs> <laughs> we do another pick flick. <laughs> yeah, I, I I've actually seen this movie twice now. I saw it in theaters, and then uh, when it came out on demand, I, I showed it to Katie later on. I I quite enjoy this movie. This movie does. Okay, okay. So 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 this is a prime example of what I think most video game adaptations need to do. Now, not having played the video game Detective Pikachu, I I don't know how closely this matches up to that but i get the sense that this movie isn't really concerned with adapting the game faithfully as much as it's just trying to take the seeds of the game and then make its own story based on that yeah i mean honestly from my understanding i understand like there was a uh, casting change throughout production like originally they had someone else cast to be Detective Pikachu, I think originally Hugh Jackman was supposed to play him. And then they decided to go with Ryan Reynolds just because they felt he would sell the movie a little bit better. And lo and behold, it is literally just Deadpool in a as a Pikachu with a little yep. detective hat. And that is what makes the movie freaking work. Um, despite like how it is adapted from the game, they, the, whoever was like behind this um, production decided to just go with that vision. They said, yeah, we're going to make fun of Pokemon and the universe. We're going to make fun that these, you know, colorful little creatures are just wandering around with human beings. And even like the main kid, Justin Smith, is like just kind of like shaking his head at just the absurdity of everything going on here. And it works. And I think it's just the, the writers of this just knew how to balance out the ridiculousness of the game's concept, but also find something to make it endurant about it. And it works that way. It's a good example, Joe, as you mentioned, of this is how a video game movie adaptation should look. Well, yeah, I, I, I think I think to successfully pull off a video game adaptation today, you can't be worried about being too literal to the source material. I, I think we saw that in uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie where they tried to too literally adapt all the weird stuff from, from the, the game into a movie that didn't fit. In Doom, they tried to take uh, too literally, in a lot of people's opinions, the first-person shooter kind of aspect, and throw that, you know, you know, try to craft a movie based on that. Detective Pikachu just is just kind of like, all right, we have Detective Pikachu. What do we got? We got Ryan Reynolds. All right, we can do the Deadpool thing. All right, we'll do this whole uh, mystery, murder mystery noir kind of thing, and then we'll throw in all the the Pokemon everyone likes from it. I, I think I think this movie is just is is trying to be its own thing, but take the 
the tone and origins and style of, you know, Pokemon and kind of the whole quote unquote lore of, of Pokemon and just do its own thing. I, I, I think another movie that, that, that did that very well also, uh, we're not talking about it you know, on, on this podcast, but the, the Tomb Raider movie that came out a few years back or maybe even, I think, I think it was a couple years ago. I, I know people are mixed on it. I, I quite enjoyed it. And I think, again, it did kind of its own thing where it just said, all right, let's take the whole Laura Croft uh, idea and just make our own adventure fantasy movie based on that. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think filmmakers are starting to find what makes a video game adaptation work. And it's, it's, it's really just truly adapting in that you, you, you change what you need to, you don't need to be so strict to certain things. You can, you can do your own thing with it. I, th- I think it comes down to really balancing out, like knowing who your audience is and where they're at currently as you're adapting this movie. Like you, you look at Pokemon, Pokemon has a good solid 20 years of people following it. Um, I think even longer than that. And so the guys who are writing this grew up with that audience. They understand like what they love about these characters or these, you know, creatures they know what to make fun of them, how to put them in certain scenarios, and also just like poke fun at them. But also, I think the that's where they put a lot of the money for that movie is in the animation of those Pokemon characters. I've never seen any more believable characters like that. And I think it just made it work for that universe. It made it look realistic, made it look epic, as silly as it was. Like it's basically a neo noir movie with Pokemon wandering around, but they sell it. They're like, we're going to make this the coolest damn Pokemon movie that you've ever seen, even though it's stupid. And I think that's what people just appreciate about it. Yeah, I think one of the great things about it was just, yeah, it, it took the original kind of idea of of the game, just, you know, going around with Pikachu, finding clues, solving mysteries, that kind of deal, and then just put it on a much grander scale. Um, you know, something that would fit a, you know, a big, huge movie like like it did um and i think in in kind of similar fashion to doom in that they took the base framework of the game um and then just expanded upon it i think this the detective Pichu, i mean obviously it lends itself quite well to being adapted just because you know it's it's a like just it's a neo-noir you know mystery crime solving you know, move kind of a movie, and not not maybe not so much the game itself, but it could be very it's very easily adapted into that, and then just taken to a grander scale. Yeah, um, I think what makes it work as well is because Legendary Pictures was behind this; they have a brand for themselves. I mean, these are the guys who brought us King Kong, Skull Island, um, the new Godzilla reboot movies, so they have a um, a brand for themselves. And it, this does fit for that. Like, yeah. you know, some of those Pokemon action sequences, I felt like were done to a very epic scale. And, you know, there's the Terraform creatures. I think that's still one of the coolest sequences yeah. I've ever seen. It's like, and they didn't have to get that epic with it, but they did. Yeah, I mean, that sequence itself, for me, didn't make entirely much sense. It was cool. It was really great to watch. But just having the fa- idea of like, let's just have Pokemon completely change the geography of a massive area and no one's gonna notice was just a bit odd but i I was wondering i was wondering how long they had to stay there because i mean obviously they they can't have been there too long because they came from the lab but but on the other hand like trees and terrain had grown Mm -hmm. around them i think that's the pokemon Mm -hmm. yeah i think uh vegetation grows 
Well, yeah, well, yeah, but it but it merged into the the ground around them too. Yeah, I yeah I know that that yeah that that is what I'm saying is like oh <laughs> the fact that yeah they completely changed the geography and made it look like it was supposed to be there in the entire time. Gotcha. With no you know, one noticing. You know, one thing I actually I'll kind of like maybe we can use this as the last talking point, but I think what Detective Pikachu did right with this with these three movies that we've seen is each movie tried to find something as like a a solid story to anchor each of the these concepts or these worlds in. You know, with Mario, it's Luigi and this girl Daisy. You know, we got to save her and we got to save the world. There's that kind of like um, relatability. Everybody's wanted to do that to save the girl. In Doom, there's this whole relationship with, you know, the brother and sister and them trying to still like rekindle like what they have as far as like um, uh, a family relationship and them seeing the good in each other. Those were not the huge sellers of the movie. Whereas in Detective Pikachu, there is a a solid personal story there. This kid who lost his dad and is trying to find him. And you see this whole like broken mm-hmm. father-son relationship that's kind of like the driving force that's in you all the way through. And they use that. It's like as, as much as like Pokemon and Ryan Reynolds being a little Pikachu wandering around just saying one-liners is fun. I think that's also one thing I took away from the movie is it is this story about a kid really trying to find his dad again. And I think that's what they made it work. And maybe that's something to take away for anyone doing an adaptation is like, know what your story is and anchor in that universe. Yeah. And I think one of the things that really helped um, this, this movie out a lot was the fact that there have been previous Pokemon movies. They're all animated. So this is the first live live adaptation, but the fact that they had other stuff to look at compare to and kind of work off of, um, I think probably more definitely aided in, in their development. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the movies I was thinking about uh, was like the first Pokemon movie. Uh, the one where I guess me too and Mew are actually like the main focus, but you're right. There's still like this, the still like center story of, I guess the Pokemon trainer, Ash and his Pikachu being, you know, the two characters you're hoping get out of this alive. So yeah, you're right. There, there's always been that as part of like something that these creators or these writers like looked as a reference. Like that's that is really the story of this franchise. There's just a lot of like fun little things about it, about the about the movie that just kind of add to more of the, I guess lore, just more of the at like world building of of the movie. Like when they're talking to the mime, with talking with Mister Mime, and. Tim goes inside of his box and it's, it was a cool part too. Cause he, his audio changed as well. It sounded like he was actually in a box, which was incredibly cool. And just a subtle little thing that they did that was enhanced the whole scene. While you have Ronald Reynolds, just like, you know, providing commentary, like, Ooh, this got really dark. This is really dark. Now I'm like, you're thinking that as an audience, like, yeah, this is pretty dark for kids. Yeah. And then just all the different characters that they interact with, just the random people, are are fun i mean you had the the djs at uh was it roundhouse one of them is actually one of them is actually diplo who's like a really well-known dj um but just their those characters are fun um you know of course the main characters the main villain bill and i is i that twist at the end really kind of uh honestly took me a little bit by surprise i did not expect that i thought it was actually pretty cool um, I just love how they decided to create Pikachu in as a character I can resonate with of someone who needs that much coffee just to get by <laughs> in life. 
Oh, I was just gonna say, I it was I took I had a kind of funny note while watching it. Just at the very end, I'm like, as as we're kind of finding out who Pikachu actually is, I'm like, his dad is actually Ryan Reynolds, and then it's actually fucking Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Can I just say that was the best part of the movie theater experience when I went and saw it with my friends? We bust out laughing, and there's like a bunch of kids there who have no idea who Ryan Reynolds is, and they're all like yeah. turned to us like, "Why is that funny?" It's like. <laughs> You kids don't understand. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> it's just something there for us adults. I think for me, the big takeaway of this um, uh, this whole podcast is to make a good video game ad- adaptation, you need to put Ryan Reynolds and he has to do his Deadpool shtick. Yes. Pretty much he's, he's, a, hu- yeah, he's a huge sure. cash cow from that. I think people are realizing, yeah, put Ryan Reynolds in anything and just give him free range to ad lib and banter. You got a movie right there. That's the one thing the Super Mario Brothers movie needed. Ryan Reynolds doing Deadpool. <laughs> All right, and on that note, that will wrap up this episode of the Film Illiterates podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Film Illiterates, um, and you can go to filmilliterates.com for more podcast episodes like this and uh, videos. Nate, where can people find you? Well, you can find me here at filmaliterates.com. I do these podcasts and videos with these two guys, as well as on Letterbox at Ivan Claysburg. Alex? Um, of course, videos, podcasts here. Um, you can find me on Rate Your Music if you want to know what I'm listening to, my anime list if you want to check out the weeb stuff, and Letterboxd if you want to check out the occasional movies I do watch. Um, all of those are under half scrim. And you can you guys can find me on Letterboxd as well at film underscore illiterate. Uh, so next episode, do we have the next episode planned out yet? I believe it is my pick a flick, actually. And I think you guys are in for a mind bending experience. I'll leave it to that. So tune in for the next episode uh, where we will watch Nathan's super secretive mind-bending pick a flick episode until then keep watching movies and keep it easy